Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us for our first episode of Nerd Shit! <laughs> Nerd Shit! Nerd Shit! Nerd Shit! <laughs> I am Troy Hensley. I am one of the nerds that's speaking my large ego opinions. Uh, joining me is also... Uh, Sam Wilson here. Yep, and I've got Zach Schneider over in the corner. And Tommy Scoggins uh, bring up the rear. Yay! Today's episode... Tommy we're... loves to bring up the rear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bringing up the rear is a lot of fun. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about the prequel trilogy. Everybody loves the it, Star right? The Star Wars prequel trilogy. Oh, is there any other? With the Friday the 13th prequel trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess there's the Hobbit trilogy, which is the prequel to the Lord of the Rings, I yeah. guess. But also got the 13 going on 30 prequel trilogy, which is a little bit more obscure. Oh, that sounds like fun. 13 going on 30. Mm. Jennifer Garner? <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, a fun movie. I like it. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo's in it, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot he was in it. I love him. At yeah. some point, I need to watch that he one is great. along with... Uh, Need to watch that one as a double feature with a Freaky Friday, just to get my full, you know. <laughs> oh, a little, I, uh, what was it? Freak? Is it called Freaky? Freaky! Freaky, Freaky. With yeah, Vince yeah, Vaughn. Yeah, we saw that. That was good. Holy oh, shit! Good. That was amazing. Have not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good. Yeah, we, we're just going to give you every single plot point from the movie in a numbered list. We're not going to even talk about it in an entertaining way. We're just going to, like, spoil everything for you in the most mundane way possible <laughs> just a very clinical dry summary of the events of the movie that's that's all we're doing, <laughs> all right that's the only way i, I go in about way, my life in a way that completely ruins the experience of watching it for your future you're welcome thank you thank you it's the only thing that's i asked pretty for. awesome but no, yeah I, I liked it It was uh yeah we're deeply oddly sincere um take on the genre with you know Great respect. Obviously, the filmmakers from their you know previous work on uh, you know Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day Two really know the horror genre and are yeah Chris for what yeah yeah Chris for Landon actually really really good director. I'm I'm I'd, like from definitely from the Happy Death Day movies. I'm I, I'm I'm increasingly a fan of his work. He's he's really because he really gets both the horror and the comedy genres and really mixes them really really effectively. He does. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of him as well. It's it's pretty amazing what he does. I mean, how else do you sit around and you think I'm gonna take Freaky Friday and I'm gonna mix it with Friday the Thirteenth? Boom! Exactly. <laughs> Freaky Thirteenth. Well, you know that was the working title of the movie was Freaky Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> change it for legal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> they, they, they still kept every reference they could. <laughs> In the pitch, it said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on with the show. Would you like to talk about the trilogy as a whole, or would you like to talk about the trilogy as each individual? Let's let's break it apart first, and then kind of talk about how they come together once once mm -hmm. we've talked about each movie. Uh, Sam, I think you might have seen these most recently, so any thoughts that are... Yes, I actually, 
I actually over to yesterday and today been watching, been rewatching the prequel trilogy. Nice. Uh, to be honestly, I, I, this is one trilogy that I could talk about, like regardless of whether I've seen them recently, because I've already seen these movies so many times and I know them so mm. well, but like, I still felt the need to just kind of reevaluate them again. So Phantom Menace, uh, Star Wars episode one released 1999, written and directed by George Lucas. Of course, the original creator of Star Wars, um, really interesting movie when it was coming out because, like, it had been so long. I believe Return of the Jedi, if I'm not mistaken, came out in 1983 or 84, somewhere around that time. So it had been a long time since there had been any Star Wars, and I don't think anybody really thought there was going to be another Star Wars movie. So the hype around this was was definitely real uh, when it came out. Um, I do remember seeing this movie for the first time. In the theater, I was very young, I believe, and I'm, I'm probably going to make some people feel old when I say this, but I, I believe I was six years old when I saw this in the theater. I might have been seven, but uh, yeah, no, I do. I remember as a kid, I really liked this movie. I will say that when I when I was young, I I would exhaust you know the VHS tape for oh, just over and over again, just watching this movie. I played the video game, I got the Lego sets, I got the action figures, you know, like, I was I was very much into this movie. Um, my current opinion of the movie is not great, I will say that. Um, I, have, I have grown, I have grown to not necessarily love this movie over time. Um, but I will say it's very much a part of the, uh, the Star Wars kind of saga. Um... And it's, it's part of the canon. It sets up the events of the next two movies and of, you know, the, the related materials, you know, the Clone Wars TV show and things like that. Um, I've always said that the, the two best things about this movie are the pod race sequence is excellent. The lightsaber duel, the lightsaber duel at the end of the movie uh, with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Darth Maul is excellent. The score by John Williams is some of the best work he's done, in my opinion. I actually I actually think, like, even though I, I don't necessarily love this movie, I think that he really does, as a composer, he does some of his best work in this film. Like, the, the music is astounding in this movie. The sound design, the visual effects, all of the technical elements are so good. Unfortunately, the writing and the acting is just not particularly great in this movie. But I'll, I'll let one of you guys go ahead and kind of start to talk about your thoughts, and then we can kind of uh, circle back. I have some very mixed feelings on the film, because um, I, I do agree with many of your same points, a great many, in that uh, this, is, this is some of John, John Williams' uh, most memorable, most interesting work. There's also a lot that I love about the film in terms of design, both pushing what, frankly, CG was technically capable of at the time, while also having both extremely distinct and very memorable artistic visions for the worlds that are captured. Um, Naboo has these amazing giant deco elements, and then you also have the beautifully realized world of the Gungans of the Swamps of Naboo, um, with hints at even more ancient, older civilizations that you know are just waiting to be dug up and found. 
Um, you see Coruscant, the impossible city at the center of the galaxy. Um, you know, these gleaming spires towering across the entire planet. You even get a more realized version of Tatooine, a planet that we've been to a couple of times already, but you know, still are able to find more about it, which is really unfortunate because they're in a movie that has the most wooden acting I've seen from fairly good actors. And again, the writing is completely just not there. There are a lot of good ideas, even a lot of good plot lines that are introduced in this film that are just very lacking in execution. Um, the execution, I think, was way off. Certainly some issues that we can uh, directly point to, some specific problems, such as the lack of a clear protagonist for much of the film. I mean, I suppose you could say that this is largely Qui-Gon's film in a way, but so much of the time is spent divided between other characters that it's still hard to say exactly who is supposed to be our POV character and unfortunately they also don't work together well enough for this to be a good ensemble film. There's also an issue with a couple of characters that some of the conception of them was flawed and I do need to stress right here and now that I am not blaming Riz Ahmed or, or sorry Ahmed Best and uh, Jake Lloyd in any way whatsoever. Ahmed Best was giving, as Jar Jar Binks was giving, a performance of a lifetime, but I think that there were many writing missteps for this character. Certainly in terms of trying to have a overly comedic, overly bumbling character, when there is a certain level of both of those qualities that you can have in a character and have him be very entertaining and very endearing, but with him it felt like it was pretty much all punchline and no emotional heart, no emotional buildup. Which, again, is not the fault of Ahmed Best whatsoever. He was actually... And if, if I can j just cut in for a second, you're talking about Jar Jar Binks, yes, because you haven't actually mentioned the character. Oh, sorry, I, I thought yeah. I did. Um, yes, Jar Jar Binks. Uh, th so this, this is... Yeah, so that's on Jar Jar Binks. And then for the character of Anakin Skywalker with Jake Lloyd, I'm, again, not blaming Jake Lloyd as... Again, he is a fairly young actor, and in a movie with slightly better direction for its actors, and a supporting cast that was able to do more, was able to draw more on their ability, you know, any misgamings he might have had as a newcomer would have been, you know, somewhat downplayed or supported. Unfortunately, that was not the case here. And I also think that even having Anakin be such a young age for this film was a misstep. Sam and I have talked about that a few times, that we strongly feel that, you know, having Anakin as a young boy, you know, while that may have been done to appeal to, you know, the children audience, which George Lucas has many times said that's what Star Wars was for, was for the kids. While I understand that, I still think that you could have had even an, a young teenager, but still a slightly older, you know, young teenage version of Anakin, maybe would have allowed for a more experienced actor into the role, and maybe would have been better continuity-wise, as you could then have the same character across all three films. So as is, is those... Same actor? Yeah, same actor, yeah. same actor continuity-wise. As is, those just felt like just big missteps in execution. Yeah, so it's... I, I think that there were some very serious issues, you know, just in terms of, you know, the planning stage of this. 
which is unfortunate because it is, again, a really gorgeous movie with a lot of really beautiful world-building ideas, um, excellent music, some very good actors absolutely not giving their best performances at all. Yeah, that's that's just some of the thoughts I've had on that. Uh, any, any, any thoughts on what I've been uh, riffing on? Or... <laughs> okay, so here's my thoughts on it. <clears throat> I'll start with Jar Jar Binks. <clears throat> Uh, my thoughts on Jar Jar Binks is the actor created it by listening to his five-year-old. And Jar Jar is supposed to be a supreme, naive character. He's supposed to be completely innocent. And it's supposed to show how Jar Jar Binks, or how the innocent can be taken advantage of by those around him. And I think that that was portrayed very well. He didn't have the mindset for war. He didn't have the mindset for battle. He didn't even have the mindset for a lot of things. Jar Jar is the special kid that you take care of. And we might get tapped for me saying that. But it's true. He was supposed to be that character that that people can can connect to. Even We all do stupid things. We all trip over our own feet. And I think that's the point of Jar Jar, is that it's okay to be clumsy. As far as um, Anakin being so young, I think his point was to show that Anakin was not born evil, and that he came from a very innocent place, and that his fears were preyed upon. And, and, and that's even with the Jedi. When you when you mm-hmm. go to further further movies, in even in this one, the Jedi were all about him being too scared. They they didn't want to help him control that fear. They didn't want to teach him because they didn't want to give him therapy, or they didn't want to be worried about someone having too much fear that they would go to the dark side. He was imperfect, and the Jedi on their perfect pedestal. Were to have decided that they weren't going to teach this child because he had too many problems that could have been taken care of had Qui Gon Jinn been the one that led him. Obi Wan is—he's a great character. I am a fan of Obi Wan, but he is very flawed, and he sees everything in black and white. Qui Gon Jinn did not, and Anakin needed someone that didn't see black and white that saw, okay, these are shades of gray, let's talk about this. And Qui-Gon Jinn comes from Count Dooku, who saw in shades of gray. The only reason why Count Dooku, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead and I'm sorry, the only reason why Count Dooku uh, did what he did was not to help the dark side, but to help the Jedi see their flaws. It's something that George Lucas created from the very beginning. Episode 1 shows that the Jedi are quite high and mighty and they like to live on their high horse and they like to judge others but they don't like to get their hands dirty and Qui-Gon Jinn is a very different Jedi than Obi-Wan was and even more different than Yoda so I I think that them going to the child mode of, of Vader I think that's just something beautiful that we get to see this child have this horrible life and get corrupted as so many other people have had happen to them, if that makes sense. Humility. Yes, humility. Yeah. The pod races are my least favorite part of the movie. I love that you said that, Sam. 
the pod. Oh my god! Every time I watch, every time I watch it, this this last time that I watched it. Um, I watched it and I was like, oh, the pod races isn't too bad, but it's my least favorite of the movie. I'm glad you said that. It makes sense. And they had video games and everything come out about the pod races. And I was like 17 when it came out. So I was a big gamer at the time. And I was like, ooh, pod racing game. This sucks. I am. See, I love that. I love that game. It's so good. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Still, still waiting on a uh, Ben Quadranero sports story. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Ben Quadraneros, <laughs> the best, the best pod racer, the best worst pod racer of all. <laughs> I think. I think uh, that. I think that my biggest critique of the movie is that. George Lucas relies too much on filling in blank spaces with books that it ruined Phantom Menace in that sense. Because really, to get the whole story of Phantom Menace, you have to read Darth Plagueis. Darth Plagueis and Phantom Menace go hand in hand. And when you read Darth Plagueis, you appreciate Phantom Menace a thousand times more. But you shouldn't have to do that. The story of Phantom Menace should have been told so that you would understand that really the Phantom Menace is not Darth Maul, but it's Sidious. But it has its ups and downs. It is gorgeous. Like you said, the music, I agree completely with y'all about the music and seeing everything new because everything felt new. You know, we come from this original trilogy where everything is old and dank and crapped and scratched and just shit. And then we get this new world and even Tatooine looks a little shinier than the Tatooine that Luke grew up on. So we get the taste of what the Empire did to the galaxy. We get a really good taste of that if we go back and watch A New Hope after watching Phantom Menace. New and shiny compared to an empire where only the strong survive. So, yeah, I like I like it, but it definitely does not stand up on its own. On its own. On its own. Yeah, on its own. On its own. <laughs> that was an issue for me, too. Very, very strongly relies on later works, which... Is, is something we need to come back to later once we've covered the other prequels as yes that's that is going to be a recurring thing that is both a weakness and one of the weird strengths one of the great things about the legacy of it is that a lot of points had to be filled in by later writers a lot of what makes it work had to be done by later works apart from just what's in the films they have a little trouble standing on their own but they are also incredibly fertile grounds for these works. Mm-hmm. So a lot of writers have been able to have a great many and a great many fantastic stories that were built directly off of the ideas that started in these movies. It's the best way to become a billionaire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to start off by saying that I haven't seen this movie since I was maybe 16. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and yes. and I'm not I'm not familiar with a lot of the Star Wars movies. I've seen bits of every movie, but never all of them all the way through. And this movie in particular, I only know it as the Podracer movie. <laughs> I used to play it 
the hell out of it with uh, the VHS <laughs> until it ate the tape and we got a new one. <laughs> and yeah, my, the pod racing part is my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. And I even have the game too on N64. I still have it today. I'm an odd duckling. I've got a new lap record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I enjoyed this movie. I, I, I haven't seen it most recent enough. I'm sure it probably doesn't stand up to the test of time as far as quality white like video and and all that yeah. but i mean it's kind of a classic it still gives a soft spot in my heart I gotta watch it again. I, I will actually say that like there is something even though i don't outwardly like this movie very much there is a certain like nostalgia mm-hmm. like when i watch it and I, I will say actually in terms of like the video quality actually does stand up better than you like mm-hmm. honestly visually i think this movie holds up better than probably any late 90s movie to be mm-hmm. honest like the, the cinematography the vfx like it doesn't look like a movie from 1999 it honestly doesn't like i would say this and the matrix are like the two movies from that time that actually hold up today mm-hmm. as far as the videos yeah. go um yeah i mean on the subject of uh kind of circling i i know what zach and i both kind of touched on 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 the acting i will say this Having just watched it yesterday, there were certain supporting actors who were who stood out more than I had remembered. I will say, okay, as far as the main cast goes, the best actor in the movie to me is Liam Neeson. Hands down, yes. I actually think I think that he actually does bring a kind of a subtle, you know, but interesting kind of gravitas to hmm. to Qui Gon Jinn, where I I like the fact that they. They kind of subverted the expectations of you. You usually expect for the mentor character to be the one who's very rigid and the apprentice to be more kind of the rebellious character. I love the fact that they switched that. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that the mentor is the one who plays fast and loose with the rules and Obi-Wan is just like, no, this is what a Jedi is. But the, but the two of them balance each other very well, which is part of why you feel the loss of when Qui Gon yes. Jinn dies. Is because like you feel like Obi Wan kind of needed that that sort of rebellious streak to kind of balance. And he never it. got it really. So I definitely, so I definitely kind of kind of feel what you were what you were sort of talking about. How Qui Gon Qui Gon honestly would have probably been a better master for Anakin hmm. than Obi Wan. So I do think I do think Liam Neeson again was really good in the movie. I actually, I wasn't, I didn't remember this being the case, but I, I actually don't know her name. But the actress who played Shami, Anakin's mother, is actually pretty good. Like, she's pretty good, you know? Yeah. And then the other best, like, supporting performance, and this is true for the entire prequel trilogy, Ian McDermott as Palpatine <laughs> is just great in all of these movies. Flawless. He's so good at all mm-hmm. he, he just completely sells that character so well across all three like yeah again these are some good actors who uh, uh, yeah apart from Liam Neeson most of them are like clearly feeling some some sort of chafing from the directing or something because they are not giving their A-game again except for Ian McDiarmid who is giving to the, one of the performances of a lifetime across all three films. Palpatine is my favorite character because of Ian McDiarmid he successfully plays the most evil character ever written in the history of films. There, I said it. I I think that he is the most despicable. And when people talk about uh, Star Wars and they ask me who my favorite character is, and I always say Palpatine, 
I always get that look like, oh, shit, it's one of them. And it's not that I like him because I look up to him. I like the character of Palpatine because there's so much complex shit that went into the acting of him. It's crazy. Well, the thing about him, too, is that that character doesn't work unless you actually believe that he can get all of these senators to love him and vote for him and think that he's the guy. He is so charismatic in those mm-hmm. movies. Like, you really, you you believe that this guy can give, like, just this these amazing speeches and just completely win over crowds of, you know, thousands of thousands of people, mm-hmm. you know, across all these different star systems can all look up to him and say, yeah, that's the guy who we want to be in charge. Like, you mm-hmm. totally believe that, that he can do that. Um, but at the same time, he can j- just make that flip, you know, once, and we'll, we'll get to the, the third movie in a minute, but he can make that flip in the third movie where he just completely just goes all straight up evil. And it's just, you're, you're right. I, 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 I get why you love him. He's actually one of my favorite parts of specifically the prequel trilogy. Again, and I, I love it. We're going to get, I think, more into Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan with the other two movies. I think in Phantom Menace, he's fine. I think that Obi-Wan as a character just doesn't have as much to do in the first movie as he does in the other two. Yeah. But I think that he's fine. I think Natalie Portman in the first one does not know what she's doing. She's she's like, I, I, I don't know. She's like going back and forth between... <laughs> Like trying to be, you know, Padme the Handmaiden and Pad, you know, Queen Amidala, and when she's Queen Amidala, she's doing this weird, like, deep, like, British accent voice, which I know is meant to like disguise her voice so you don't recognize her. But it's just, I don't know, just, just her acting. Mm-hmm. Some of her acting choices are just really strange. But I, I honestly think that it's more of a, a directing issue in, in in that regard. Yeah, it it makes me think of the original trilogy where um, Mark Hamill asks. Uh, Luke, uh, Lucas, is it Han or Han? And Lucas says, yeah. And when I was younger... <laughs> I actually didn't know that, but that makes so much sense. When I was younger, when I was younger, I thought that was lazy directing. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm older and I've directed 19 shorts, I will tell you, it creates diversity in your characters if someone from one planet says han and someone from another planet says han it's more natural than if everybody is saying the same thing all of the time when you're spread over a whole galaxy so that's my defense for him in a lot of in a lot of the um micromanaging directing um i i heard morgan freeman talk about this and and I was younger when I heard it, and it pissed me off when I heard it, but now it makes sense. And someone asked Morgan Freeman, what's the best advice you can give to young directors? And Morgan Freeman said, get out of my way. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. So as I get older, I understand that a lot more than I understood when I was younger. So, yeah, I give him that one. Are we ready? Oh, before we go forward, I guess we're going to have to talk about Darth Maul because we haven't really talked about Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will say it's not a video podcast, but on my on my wall, I do have a framed uh, picture of Darth Maul's yes. park, which is one of my prized possessions. <laughs> so that should give you an idea that I do love me some Darth. Yes, Maul, so. I I gotta say I went through a little depression. At the end of Phantom Menace, when I watched it the first time, 
and they cut him in half, and I thought Darth Maul was dead. And I had to wait eons for Dave Filoni to come around and write the greatest comeback ever written. <laughs> so thank the gods for Dave Filoni. <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly, I was not even in this. In Clone Wars is kind of a different thing, which maybe we can fully discuss in another episode. But like, I, I I'll just touch on it for a second that I was not originally a supporter of the idea of bringing Darth Maul back because it was like, are you really gonna bring it back for being cut in half and, and not only cut in half, but then shoved down a bottomless pit shaft? You know, it's like that's that's yeah. double dead right there. And you know what? It it doesn't make any logical sense, but the character became so much better as a result of having been on that show, mm-hmm. even, even that he was. Because he, he went from being, like, just a badass physical threat, which is really what he is in Phantom Menace, to actually just being a really cool character mm-hmm. and a really interesting The character life. made me cry mm-hmm. in Rebels. To yes, see that full so arc good. to Rebels, I cried in that last episode that he was in. So yeah. it was it was beautiful writing. You know what what surprised me was uh, was Darth Maul's um, cameo in Insidious. That was that was crazy. Yes, Insidious. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Just like wait, what? <laughs> Would anyone like to share the reference with the rest of the class? <laughs> well, if you don't know, um, now you know. Have you ever seen the movie Insidious? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna say yeah, no, not really. All right, so Insidious is a is a Lin Shay movie, and it's wonderful. It's mm-hmm. the idea of a horror movie set to the spiritualist belief, and the demon in Insidious looks just like you bought a Darth Maul action figure from the dollar store. No, a ma- a good mask, a Halloween mask. <laughs> It, it <laughs> real close, almost like almost feels copyright close. <laughs> yes, they're not quite as tall. Like they literally just took a Party City Darth Maul mask and just kind of maybe painted it a little differently, and they just yes, yes, looks like they just like took the horns off, you know, just like awkwardly took the horns and then painted over it. It was <laughs> hilarious. Oh my god, <laughs> perfection. They they wanted to protect the copyright, so they threw a tail on. So. <laughs> You know. It was hilarious. <laughs> it's it's not Darth Maul. He's Satan. He's not Darth Maul. <laughs> <laughs> Darth Maul's bald. This guy's got uh, hair. Yeah, <laughs> Clear difference. Okay, so uh, my star rating for the Phantom Menace. To be honest, for me, it's a three out of ten. I know that seems abysmally low, but. Honestly, I think that there were really good ideas in that movie. I think that the execution was, like, mostly bad. I give it one star for the pod race, one star for the fights, and one star for John Williams. That's the, the that's three stars. That's, that's how I see it. So, for Phantom Menace, I think I'm going to give that one a 4 out of 10. Slightly higher. There's some parts of it I just, I just really like, and... Maybe a lot of that is nostalgia. That extra star is nostalgia in addition to, you know, John Williams, uh, the fight scenes, and the pot racing sequence. I would give episode one, I would give that a seven out of ten. Well, that's all the time we have today. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We really do hope you enjoyed the show. And tune in next week for another fun episode of... Nerd Shit! Nerd Shit! Nerd Shit! Step on it, girls, we're talking about
Yeah!